I'm your host, Rabbi Linda Schreiner Khan, and welcome to Tehillah Talks, where teens engage in honest conversation with their rabbi about what it means to be Jewish in the world today. Welcome to Tehillah Talks. And this morning, I welcome Roma, Alexis, and Julian. And delighted to have them with us. We are approaching the holiday of Purim, which is a very, very odd holiday, I must say. And I think, though, we're told that it is the um, exact opposite of, of Yom Kippur, where God is mentioned over and over and over again. And in the story of Esther, not a single mention of God. It's all on. It's all on us, on us humans, which actually I think is uh, the right place for us to start because. Whether we believe in God or not, whether we have a relationship to God or not, we definitely have a relationship with other humans. So uh, I thought that would be an interesting place to go. The holiday is also one where we hear about identity, identity formation, and it's a holiday where people dress up. So I'll start with a simple question. Have any of you ever dressed as something truly ridiculous or have you never had the courage to do so? Perform. Or even for Halloween, I'll expand the question. Have any of you ever done, like, never? I was an MTA worker last Halloween. That's about as crazy. There was the Purim where I dressed up as Haman and rented an enormous tricycle. I don't know if anybody remembers that. But yeah, you know, as somebody once taught in improv, the thing that they teach you is uh, you've got to risk the ridiculous to achieve the sublime. And I somehow think that uh, the holiday of Purim is just that. We have to risk the ridiculous to achieve something greater. So uh, silliness in this conversation is absolutely welcomed, but it's also a serious conversation. So in the holiday of Purim, it begins with ridiculousness. And I want to say that I am of the belief that it has the historicity, the historical accuracy of this holiday, in my estimation, is pretty low. Right. But it really echoes uh, a form of satire that was common by uh, the Athenians making fun of the Persians. So just just that's just a piece of background. And there are those who will disagree with me, but that's the position I'm going to hold. However, the story, which begins with a ruler who gets drunk for half a year, what ruler does that? And then in a drunken stupor, exiles the wife that he loves, and then appoints somebody as his minister who expects everybody to kowtow to him. And then we have a queen who hides her identity. And we're told that on Purim, we should be something that we're not regularly. So I will give you the uh, a visual that I had a number of years back of being in Lakewood, New Jersey, which is a an Orthodox enclave, and seeing people on the street wearing the most ridiculous costumes. And even uh, a woman dressed as a chassid, which in that community is really not done under normative circumstances, a woman dressing as a man, but on Purim, you can do it. So what does this have to do with you? You're all still in in a place in your lives where you're still figuring out who you are. How comfortable is that for you? Figuring that's figuring out process. How do you, if you, if I say to you, what are the things that matter to you most in your identity? What what emerges? 
So give me one factor that, you know, this is, I believe this is true about me no matter what. Do you have anything like that? It could be a love of something. It could be a value that you believe will will be with you for the rest of your lives. Do you have such a thing? Oh, I'll try if nobody else has an idea. Um, I think maybe loving my family, I guess, is something that I think is always going to be a constant in my life and kind of gives me sort of a weather vane for, I guess, what you're saying, like planning my future. So it's, it's the thing that roots you. Yeah, absolutely. Ladies, you have something that you know gives you a sense of rootedness. I think that's a good way to take that on. Roma. Something that I always think of is that like everything always happens for a reason. So I know like when things are difficult and stuff to know that there's probably something good coming. And that's something that I always think of through my life, I guess. So if there's a value that you'd put with that, what would that look like? Would that be that you, in spite of everything, you're basically an optimistic person. If I was going to reframe it. Yeah. Alexis. I guess mine is kind of similar to Julian's in that, like, it's, for me, it's my family. Like, I know my family is there somewhere, like, no matter where I go. And, like, that's a part of me. Like, it's a part of who I am that I have my family and that I can go to my family and I can talk to my family. So in in this story of Purim, we have somebody, a woman love the fact that she's a woman, getting her stuff together and and having to go and tell somebody that she's, A, she's been keeping a secret, right, of who she is, of her own identity. She's masked her identity. She is, we're told in the story that if the king doesn't put down his golden scepter, she's putting her life in her hands. Um, He could, you know, if he doesn't want to see her, she's done for, which is sort of you know, from our perspective, ridiculous, but yet not. So how, is there any piece of your identity that that you think is hard to share with others? You don't have to say what that is, but you know what I mean? Is there things that we need to keep secret and things that we put out there in the world? Let me frame it that way. I'm going to start with you, Julian, as you nodded. I was just thinking, I mean, I think that's an interesting idea. I think everybody kind of I think everybody sort of keeps some part of their identity and and values to themselves. But I don't know. I don't think I have a good um, sort of interpretation of that. I mean, just thinking about it, what you're talking about, I think it's interesting that Esther could kind of hide the fact that she was Jewish, that like, consider, didn't she win the whole empire-wide pageant? Like, I think it's, it's interesting thought that like, she could hide the fact that she was Jewish. It wouldn't have been readily apparent to the people around her, I think kind of makes you imagine the setting a little bit more like this, really. Well, it also gives you a sense that maybe her Jewish identity wasn't so deep. It's very modern, I think, her her Jewish identity. It wasn't the chassid I was describing before. It was, yes, I come from this family and I can keep it a secret. And it was only when her people were at risk that she was willing to take a risk, right? Right. That brings up an interesting question of like, in this story, Jews are both able to kind of like blend in and disappear, but also are targeted with extermination by by the government. So it's interesting that they're both able to blend in as ordinary citizens and are targeted with like this massive violence. So so that's what I'm saying. There's there's the identity we hold inside and then there's the public. So it's 
now I can't think of the of the musician, doesn't really matter, that but that there are people who have public personas and then they reveal a little bit of their private personas and everybody doesn't know what to do with it, right? You are all still in that place of forming your identities. But Alexis, you're a performer. When you perform, is all of Alexis revealed? Oh, definitely not. I mean, like, yeah, there are parts there, but it's not like all of me is not on that stage when I'm performing. Right. So that it may be what propels you, but it's not what you share. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you're still playing piano or not, but also for you, is there that piece which you say it's like, ain't nobody going to see this piece, piece of me at this moment or maybe only a select few? Yeah, definitely. Like I'd say like uh, one of my hobbies is playing soccer. So I guess like you can't really form a lot about a person from like watching them like play. You don't really know anything about them from just seeing them play soccer, I guess. So so this is a, an important thing because generally, I want to take this to another place. We make assumptions about the people that we meet based on how they present themselves in the world. How do you think we should relate to that? I think it's I think it's kind of an unfortunate trap that we have as humans where I think our brains are kind of trained to make these assumptions and construct a worldview. And then when, unfortunately, someone kind of encroaches on that worldview, we sort of take it as a threat. I don't know. I think it's one of, yeah, I think human beings are kind of trapped by our tendency to make assumptions on people based off what we've observed in the past. And I think frequently we're missing 99% of the person when you make that assumption. And we make those assumptions based on what? I mean, in this story, there's a whole thing about garb, right? We have the story, uh, the piece of the story where Mordecai is dressed as as the king and Haman has to lead him around on the white horse. And the assumption is made, wow, this guy's really important based on what we see, not knowing that this this guy who's on that horse is quivering and frightened because his people are at risk, right? The text doesn't say that, but that's the reality of that moment when he's on that horse because it's between the two banquets where... Esther's about to reveal who she is. Do you think we judge too much by by uh, how people dress, how people speak, and how do we get beyond that? That's really my bigger question. You know, I will say to you, I'm trying to do that in my work, and it's really hard to get people to not assume they know. Can I, can I ask a question? Sure. About the comment you made about the Athenian place, is the whole like extravagance of like the beauty pageant and drinking for a year and a half, et cetera, and having the very ineffectual prime minister. Is this all part of the literary tradition of like how the Athenians ridiculed the Persians or the... Yeah, there's a whole thing about that. I mean, there's a whole thing about the... Yes, I'm not going to get into it because it's actually pretty perverse, some of it, but yes. Wow, okay. There's a, <laughs> it's, it's sort of perverse satire. This story doesn't go quite to those lengths. But yeah, and it ends up pretty bloody Okay, in a whole other way. But it's there. There is a literary tradition because they were, they were at war. But yeah. the fact that, that Jews of a period took that, that literary tradition, turned it on its head and said, by the end of that story, we are an empowered people. We mm-hmm. have agency. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty big thing. And I think... Uh, yeah, I'm going to leave it that. But I mean, that makes me think about the original question where it's you're asking about 
the role of dress and identity in this sort of story. But if everything is sort of almost satirical about it, the structure of the government, what the what the emperor is doing, the fact that he's having this beauty pageant, etc. I think that emphasizes the point of like the fact that the garb and the identity is all kind of overpowered, right? Like you're showing all this respect to the guy who's dressed as the prime minister, but the government is sort of this parable of, yeah. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm... No, yeah, it does. It does. It's, it it has all the trappings. And this, the description at the very beginning of the book is is elaborate in terms of the colors of the drapes. We never get that in biblical text. Ever. We never get told where we are. Oh my goodness. Here we're being told where we are and how how ornate it is. I mean, that never happens. We get a whole sense of these drunken guys uh, sprawled on a pa- out on a palace floor, right? So it's it, it's it has a very visual piece, and we can make assumptions, and we do. We make assumptions. This is an ineffectual environment of, of for governing, and this guy gives his ring of power to absolutely everybody who comes along. So I mean, that's. But for us, it's like, yes, we on Purim, we dress up. We, we're supposed to drink so much, which is problematic in this day and age. We're supposed to drink so much that we can't tell the difference between Haman and Mordechai, right? Can't tell the good guy from the bad guy. That's how much you're supposed to drink. However, what does it mean to be a good guy? I mean, Mordechai, at the end of the story, he's got, he's got the ring of power. We have no idea how he's going to rule. I have no idea. Just because he's he's a Hebrew, he's an Israelite, he's going to rule well. I'm sorry, I'm not going to make that assumption. Yes, they're saved for the moment, but it's for the moment. And I think for us, in terms of identity, what are the core values? So both Julian and Alexis uh, talk, you both talked about family is rooting you. Roma, you talked about sort of having a, a positive attitude that it's, you know, everything's for a reason. But there's got to be more than that, that because if that's all we have, are we going to be able to survive our lives, you know, with all the things that come at us? So what else do we need in order to to go forward? Even if you don't think you have it now, what would you want to have as part of your arsenal to keep you going? Right. I, I will share with you for me. Being able to collaborate with others. I'm going to agree with you on the family piece, and I'm generally a positive person. So I'm, I'm right with you on that. But if I didn't have people I could collaborate with, lock me up. Lock me up. Couldn't do it. So what for you? I just gave you one. What for you is something you need in order to keep going or that you want to have in order to keep going? I guess for me, it would be like I have this sometimes but like all of the time I think it would be like an uncompromising set of like morals and values like every time I'm going into a conversation you are never going to get me to stray away from like one or two or three things and I have this sometimes right like a lot of the times I will go into a conversation and there will be things that you will not sway me on just because this is what I value and you can't change that but it's not always. And I would like that to be more often. You want it to be stronger. I want it to be stronger. It's a process. Roma, do you have? I'm not really sure other than like, 
I say like not necessarily family, but having like a support system and having people that you can count on and trust and that will always be there to support you no matter what. So let's let's focus on the word trust. Mm-hmm. Finding that group of people that you can trust. I can't collaborate with people that I don't trust. Yeah. It's implicit in that in that worldview. Right? It's much harder to collaborate with people you don't trust. Not, it's not impossible, but it's much harder. So you start with the people you trust and then you go out on the gangplank a little bit and reach out to people you don't know as well. Julian. This might be a little bit corny, but like, I guess hope, I think is something that I'm looking for. And I think everybody needs because when you're hopeless about the future, your perception of what the options are and what you're what you can do is so much more limited than when you do have at least a little bit of hope about the future and and the people around you. So that's that's something I'm personally working on is being a little bit more hopeful. It's key. It's key. I will admit that at the beginning of the pandemic, I kept trying to compare it to Noah's Ark because I thought that would be give me some hope. And then it went past that point. So then I had to give up that metaphor. But yes, you know, you, you look for something that's going to anchor you. It just was not my intention to talk about this, but it just, I have to because of what happened or actually didn't happen yesterday. This notion of Jews being attacked yesterday made me a little nuts. It made me nuts, not because I was afraid. It made me nuts because we're paying too much attention to it. And my, and I want to share with you, and I want your opinion on this. If somebody, if a threat and an undefined threat is made, do you respond with fear or in solidarity with others who have experienced something similar. You see what I'm, I'm getting at? A little. Just to clarify more, I got a wonderful uh, piece by a reverend in, um, in Chicago who works with the Jewish community who decided on Shabbat, even though he had a lot of things to do, he was going to show up at two synagogues where he knew the rabbis. He just wanted to show up and be there in solidarity so that it's, you know, right? We have to stand together at these moments, and it's not about fear. So that's what I'm asking. Yeah, that's that's powerful. But I think definitely reaching out in solidarity to people is. But I think also just having the strength to sort of be like, this threat isn't going to phase me. Like, I mean, even to go back to Purim, you know, Mordecai and Esther are facing the the greatest of threats, like extermination, and they're unfazed for the most part. Like they play their cards and do what they can to save the Jewish people. So I think, yeah, on a, on a surface level, like what I think of is also just having the strength and the fortitude not to be phased. I think. And that goes back to what you said about hope. And that's yeah. why I wanted to tie it in because I think fear is paralyzing. Fear is a paralyzing emotion and it makes us stop. You know, you want to go hide under the covers and just stay there forever. And it doesn't help. It doesn't move the ball across the court. What's a small thing you can do to, to mitigate the fear, right? Rabbi, I just want to quote FDR's like freedom from fear. I thought that was such a beautiful um, phrase. He said that in, uh, I think it was 1942, State of the Union, um, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom from want and fear. I just, I've been thinking about that the last few days. Like it's a beautiful way to encapsulate like kind of the human condition where we're, we're constantly working to be free from want and free from fear, but that's a continuous struggle. It's not a freedom you're granted, like freedom of speech. It's a freedom you we all are fighting for. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's wonderful. 
and I, you know, a little bit of fear, like like a dollop is okay because it makes you allow you to protect yourself if something is coming your way. But to be paralyzed by fear. And the thing is, in the story, you even have Esther kind of saying, I can't do this. And Mordecai gives her a pep talk and then she fasts and she has her women around her. So she does that collaborative, that community action that gives her the courage to walk into a situation where she's taking her life in her hands. I put that out with this story because I think we are in those moments. And the the thing that's the challenge for me and for you, for me at my age, for you at your age, is what resources do we have? And if we don't have them, who do we turn to when we need them? Does that make sense? Like, And it may not be family. It may be friends. It may be uh, people you, you view as mentors. But who do we turn to so that we, we are not paralyzed? And I think this story is actually one about not being paralyzed. <laughs> so I want to go back to my first question as we end, because I think it's an, as we've had this conversation, do you think you could identify more things specifically that will hold you up in these difficult moments? Add to the list. We've got hope, we've got family, we have other, other people. But within ourselves, is there anything else that you want to add? I'm going to give you a, one that's important to me, is having compassion for others. To, to see that where I am is not necessarily where you are. And who, who am I to assume that I understand exactly where you are? And so let me take three steps back and just listen and have compassion. I have an idea. This isn't necessarily within me, but Esther and Mordecai are like, in the story, they're motivated by their like, love and kind of like the very basic emotions we've sort of been talking about. I think recognizing the people around us who are really like being guided by those those emotions and like a basic love of their family or, an, you know what I mean? I think recognizing like, <laughs> I, I bungled that, but do you know what I mean? We're recognizing when people are being motivated by their love for one another and really pure emotions of empathy versus Haman or the king where they're motivated by much more complicated sense of maybe jealousy and and power powerfulness I don't know what you're saying is getting down to the basics right pushing the other stuff away Esther and Mordecai running down the street looking busy like go help them I guess is what I'm saying yeah. Rama Alexis anything you want to come a little clearer in this conversation I just think like having courage having courage to be able to help push you forward and be able to, I guess, just help you. I don't know. Courage is, is, you know, think of the cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz, right? I love that character. But he grapples with that issue of courage. And it's not easy. Having courage isn't easy. We like to throw it out there like, oh, yeah, the American value. I mean, no, this is work. To be courageous, to face things is hard. It's hard. So courage is huge. Having courage and when you're in a tight place, as opposed to being paralyzed by fear, that having that little ounce of courage is what enables you to take a step forward, right? And not be stuck. So that's it's huge, Rama, I think, courage. Alexis, any, any closing thoughts from you? I guess this is going to be a little bit similar to what you said, but like slightly to the left. I guess in terms of empathy, wherein it's... Like recognizing it's not always about me and then also trying 
to feel how feel what others are feeling in a situation because it's not always about me and it's not always about what I'm feeling but it is it's it's about sometimes how other people feel and I think that's important I I really appreciate this very very rich conversation against the backdrop of of Purim which is a crazy holiday and I invite you at some point in your lives to dress up in the most ridiculous way possible and people will not judge you in a space where you feel safe. I'm going to put it out that way, where you feel safe and you don't think anybody's going to make fun of you, but they're going to go, yes, I get that. I hope you find that space of empathy, caring, seeing beyond. And uh, and I wish you a very happy Purim. Thank you all. Have a great afternoon. You can say goodbye. Oh, he said goodbye already. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thank you for taking the time to listen to Tehillah Talks. For more information about Tehillah, go to congregationtehillah.org. Tune in next time when our teens continue to reflect on issues of the day through a Jewish lens.